year ago, we preached a series of sermons called Five Lies. This year, we're preaching a series on truths, four truths. The kickoff was last uh, Sunday. Tim brought the message on uh, the dead can't be raised. We're looking today at uh, the concept of there is right and wrong, and uh, so on, uh, more sermons in that series uh, to come. Today we're looking at this one that says there is a right and a wrong. And one might ask, uh, why is such a topic or subject uh, necessary? Uh, don't we all take that uh, for granted? Well, in some ways maybe we do. Uh, we translate that particular uh, statement into additional, is there an absolute right and wrong? Uh, many people would say there is, and others would say there is not. Uh, some of you will be familiar with the works of uh, John Dewey, back in the middle of the previous century, who was a philosopher and educator, and had a powerful effect on education in this country. And he taught that there were no eternal truths. One biographer of his summed it up, what his, he believed was all is relative, in change or flux. There are no eternal verities and no moral standards. Well, there are a lot of people who apparently hold to those concepts today. We do so in a time of uh, corruption, a time of scandal, a time of uh, warfare across the world, and so on it goes. Uh, a couple of decades ago, James Patterson and Peter Kim did a study. They produced a book out of that which was entitled The Day America Told the Truth. They interviewed over 2,000 people asking a total of some 1,800 questions about everything under the world that you could think of. Love, marriage, the family, religion, politics, community work, leisure, global position, and, and so on down the line. And they put together what uh, seemed to be the concept. Uh, and, uh, James Patterson said that the ground beneath our feet began shaking. Yesterday's verities had vanished. Unpredictability and chaos became the norm. This is what they discovered about what Americans really believed. They discovered that Americans make up their own rules, their own laws. The effect is that they have a, a, their own moral code. And they cited particularly 13% of us believe uh, all of the Ten Commandments, only 13%. Only and only 40% believe five of the Ten Commandments. There's absolutely no moral consensus in our country like it was back in the 1950s when many of us uh, were growing up. And they say that they, modern people have made their own Ten Commandments, and he cites a few. I, I, I don't see the point of the Sabbath, 77%. I will steal for those who won't miss it, 74%. I will lie when it suits me, so long as it doesn't cause any real harm to anyone. Four, I will drink and drive if I feel I can handle it, 56%. I will cheat on my spouse, and 
he or she would probably do the same for me. And so on it goes. The modern concept of what the Ten Commandments might be. And there are different groups that provide some assistance in helping people decide what is right and what is wrong. Uh, you, for example, you might think of uh, about, uh, I've got a choice here, here's a moral choice, which way will I go? Well, I think of, uh, uh, for myself, what would be best for me to do in, in just for myself in a selfish standpoint? Uh, the second question we ask, well, how, what is the effect this will have on someone else? Another member of our family or someone in the community or even the strangers that are about. What are the motives that are driving me to make this choice that is uh, before me? What if other people made the same choice and behaved in the same way that, uh, that I'm proposing to behave? If we're Christians, we know that we're called upon to be Christ-like in our lives. We look at a different, a particular option for our motives, for our decisions and moral issues. Uh, what would Jesus do is that familiar term that we can ask ourselves. We ask, uh, what, will I be ravaged with guilt and shame if I proceed in a certain direction? And I will be feel a deep remorse in, in that. We have uh, lots of ideas that can help us to make decisions that uh, lie before us. Christians have a head start because we have the scripture. There, some will say that all we need to do is look inside of ourselves. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying a lot of things, one of which is, if it feels good, do it. He said, if I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That's my religion, such as it is. Think about people in the world today who are creating, ravaging uh, things all over the world. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, Hamas, all of these in the process of, of, of devastating lives in a horrible way. Voltaire said that those who make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. We would assign that to Hitler and to Stalin and to um, many of the warring cults of today. Well, let's just look at a few moments of what the scripture says. The existence of right or wrong begins in the Garden of Eden. As early as the second chapter, 15th verse, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, you shall eat, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, and when you eat of it, you will surely die. And we know that in the next chapter, third chapter, a Satan appears in the form of a serpent, and he challenges Adam and Eve, of whether or not God could be trusted. They said, did God say you couldn't eat of this? And God said, if we did, we would die. He said, you will not die. He twists that which is a, an absolute and tries to make it work for him. So she ate and gave some to Adam, and they were confronted by God. 
Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. There was, there was no sense of an absolute which God was holding forth for us. That uh, famous uh, theologian of uh, late night TV, John Stewart, put it this way. Yes, reason has been a part of organized religion ever since two nudists took dietary advice from a talking snake. That, that's one way of summarizing what took place there. We go out throughout the uh, Old Testament. Abraham, God chooses Abraham to be the head of his family and his nation upon earth through which he would work to bring a good thing for humankind. They made a covenant with each other. God said, here's what I will do. You can count on me. You can depend on me to do this. And in return, I would expect you to do this. And so it was. And through the leadership of Moses, God led his people through the Exodus. And we'll call it, we'll call it Mount Sinai. He delivered it to them nine things that he expected of them. That we call them the, the, the Ten Commandments that he, he expects of, of his people in the bus. After Joshua invaded the promised land at the end of the Exodus, there came a time when the people struggled with their, their belief of what was right and what was wrong. The book of Judges follows immediately. In the book of Judges, there are a series of events of where God's people uh, became unfaithful. And because of that, their enemies were defeating them. And God would raise up a judge, a warrior, a, a strong person who would uh, come and deliver them out of their uh, terrible situation. You know some of their names, Gideon, Samson, and, and others. Some we would not recognize. But it says at the, at the end of the book of uh, Judges, it said, Hold, the whole generation prior to this time died. Another generation rose up that neither knew the Lord what the Lord had done for them. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes and served the Baal, the pagan gods. And again and again in Judges, these words appear. They, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And finally at the end it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. This is and a good description of moral anarchy, and such was true of the people. Through the years, the, the prophets would rise up and proclaim God's truth. For example, here's Isaiah in the fifth chapter saying, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who turn things opposite the way they would be. In Proverbs, we find this astounding verse in the 14th chapter. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We have a world filled with people who think a certain way is correct and the right way to go. What did our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ say? He spoke often of sin, and he dealt with those who had made bad choices. 
Jesus believed that there was a right and a wrong, a good and an evil. He says to the healed lame man, See, you're aware, stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. To the woman caught in adultery, he says, Go and sin no more. To the paralytic who's been healed, take heart, go, your sins are forgiven. He used such terms as uh, description in the chapter of Mark, calling this, this adulterous and sinful generation and many others uh, we could cite. We find it uh, thoroughly in Paul, that passage which uh, J.C. Uh, read a moment ago, and I apologize for uh, the long passage, uh, J.C., but uh, we need to get a grasp of the fact that, that, that even in the early days of the church, there was struggle about what was, what was uh, right and what uh, was wrong. He says in Corinthians, that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He points out again and again that the choices that we make are foolish choices when we do not make the choices that God lays out before us. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks that he is wise by the standards of this age, by the culture around us, he should become a fool so that he might become wise. But the wisdom of the world is foolish in God's sight. And then a lot of different terminologies are used to describe this kind of situation in our society. Uh, sometimes we talk about it being uh, relativism, that uh, everything is relative, that it's not really wrong, it's uh, under these circumstances, it's uh, okay. Uh, there's that uh, uh, term that we don't use it quite as much as we did back a few decades ago, called situational ethics. It's not uh, anything that is absolute and, and for everyone, right or wrong, it's uh, one which we twist and turn to allow it to do under the circumstances. In this day and time, we have a term called uh, political correctness, and we use that to uh, make wrong choices uh, that we shouldn't make. Uh, back in the 1960s, we remember uh, the hippies and that uh, movement, and I recall particularly and this was a time when, when the sexual morality was just turned upside down. And uh, one of the terms that people used was that this is the new morality. And someone else responded and said, well, you know, the new morality looks a lot like the old immorality, which it did. Uh, some of us, uh, maybe were in New Georgia, when we had our own version of Woodstock down at uh, Byron. Did any of you remember that? Uh, it was, a, it was a devastating time with the immorality that went on in those, uh, in those days. Uh, people say, well, you know, I have my truth and you have your truth. And that's the way truth is. There's no eternal truth. There's no absolute truth that everybody needs to embrace. We have our own concept of, of truth. We see this uh, in... in what's going on in our world today with regard to uh, Islamic uh, extremism uh, in our world and the, the, the terrible things that they're doing to uh, innocent people, women and children. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, a 
terrible twisting of the, of the truth and reality of God. One of the popular terms of, uh, of this day is that we refer to it as a postmodernism. This someone is defined as saying that the creating stand a society that regards all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims as equally valid. All of it is okay. You have yours, I have mine. And let us remember that the issue of sin does not just deal with the breaking of God's law, what we do that is wrong, but it also includes our failure to do what is right. Fourth chapter of James, the 17th verse says, uh, talks about this sin of omission. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And uh, perhaps as we grow older and as we grow in our faith and our desire to be, uh, be obedient to God, we'll find more and more of that which we have to confess before God has to do with what we do not do that is right rather than what we do that is is wrong. Yes, there is an absolute right and wrong. Now, someone in, I was reading about suggested that if you have, find some person who says, well, there's a, no such thing as a, a absolute uh, truth, you might uh, ask the person if, uh, if they believe that, do you believe that is absolutely true? And they say, I, I absolutely do. Well, that's illogical. They're counteracting the very thing that they have just finished saying. Are you absolutely sure of that? And they say, yes, I am. I remind you, in the end of Judges, it says there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as he saw. On the positive note, while it is true that, as Paul says in the third chapter of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death in the sixth chapter, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forgiveness is offered. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness can be seen. Our eyes can be opened. We can see the eternal truth of God and find the strength to obey. Uh, even next Sunday or the following Sunday, uh, the great truth that we'll be looking at is forgiveness, so I will not impinge on that message by going further in that direction except to remind you that God forgives us and he promises in his scripture he will forgive our sins and remember them no more. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for guidance, we pray for wisdom, we pray for insight, we pray for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us in the way we should go that would be right. That we would not be guilty of moral anarchy in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Grant us, though God, the grace to live faithfully, to live Christ-like, so that we may know within our spirits what would Jesus do in this situation and live faithfully to his glory and his honor. In the name of Jesus we pray.